first, just a couple of announcements. We have a retreat coming up, the Heart of Meditation Retreat. And because of the restrictions for COVID, we've had to just alter the date slightly. It's now going to run from Wednesday, June the 30th to Sunday, July the 4th, and it'll be an online retreat. The meditation intensive, which is your chance to experience the power of the awakening or Shaktipad, takes place on Sunday, July the 4th from 10 a.m. And don't worry that you're watching it online because the energy rockets down those airwaves, I can tell you. There is going to be um, an added bonus for this intensive, which is that um, there's going to be new afternoon talks with ashram teachers at 3 p.m. And morning meditations now also include a short introduction to meditation with an ashram teacher too. So it's going to be a really full and um, wonderful chance to begin your practice or to enliven your practice. So just to let you know too, we've had um, a great deal of positive response to our upward shift meditations that we've had in the mornings. And so by popular demand, they're going to continue. There'll be morning meditations on Fridays, Saturdays and Wednesdays at 8am on Instagram and Zoom. And the Zoom link is available at theashram.com.au. Just a word too that the self-inquiry training, which is really the, the Shiva process training that I mentioned earlier, the um, training discount has been extended and that's for level one and two and it's a 15% lockdown discount. So um, avail yourself of that. It's a great opportunity to learn some more about Shiva process. They're all beads mantras or seed mantras which represent different aspects of the Divine Mother. And we do that for the universal blessing in this time of uh, COVID and other kinds of crises. And also a special uh, uh, celebration in a way because yesterday was the 30th anniversary of Devi Ma and I arriving in Australia. And so. I'll mention, I'll mention that a little bit more later, but let's do the mantras. We'll begin with uh, the Gajananam, and then we'll do uh, 54 of the Goddess Mantras. <clears throat> Wow. 
Well, welcome everyone. <clears throat> it's great to celebrate that anniversary. Um, when we first got here, we uh, spent a few years uh, in uh, what would they call it more inner suburbs, South Yarra, Brighton, Elwood, uh, and finally we got a, a permanent place, well, semi-permanent place in Elwood for about three years. And then uh, 25 years ago, we found this ashram, and we had a permanent place then. Uh, we've been here for the last 25 years in beautiful Mount Eliza. So I want to welcome everybody. Uh, we just have the ashramites here uh, because we're still in lockdown, although th things are looking good here. That perhaps we'll have some outside guests next week. Is that right? Possibly. Hope so. Um, and I want to say hello to everybody uh, watching in Radioland. <clears throat> People ask me about Radioland. You see, I'm so old that I grew up when radio was king. Um, I didn't even have a television set till I was about 13. And so my formative years were listening to radio. And uh, radio was rich, a rich uh, field. It's, Actually, with the return of, uh, uh, with the advent of podcasts, I think radio has made a comeback. Now, I think radio is supreme form. So anyway, you're Radio Land, so hi, Radio Land. <clears throat> I like to begin every program by remembering my great guru, Baba Muktananda, who began every program by saying in Hindi, Sabko varisanmane kesat premse hardik swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And with that phrase, he taught us all the essence of spirituality, which is to welcome another person with a generous heart, an open heart, and to welcome ourselves also. So in that spirit, I want to welcome everyone. <clears throat> Bhagwan Nityananda said, he said, Oh, beggar! Burn the delusion of the mind in the fire of yoga. And why does he call us beggars? We're beggars because we have great wealth within us, and yet we feel like beggars. We feel like we'd give anything for, to get what we want or for a little bit of happiness, a little bit of peace. <clears throat> and... Um... <laughs> To get what I want. <laughs> One of the skills I forgot is how to put a shawl on and off. <laughs> so fairly deadly also. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's why we're beggars when the great treasure is within that we that we uh, uh, have to go begging. Isn't that sad? He goes on, he says, those who have not realized Brahman do not know the truth. So somewhere hidden in our mundane experience, every person's mundane experience, there's a divine stream, a divine energy, the spanda principle, the bliss of consciousness, hidden in all the sense input and the mental stuff and the emotional stuff, somewhere hidden in the experience. So the real search that each of us has to make is to find that stream 
in our present experience, because it does exist there. <clears throat> and that is Brahman. We have to know that principle. And then, without knowing that principle, our life is in the sewer. When we know that principle, we're in heaven. He says, those people who don't know Brahman, they do not experience real joy. They are tormented by their ego. Be always immersed in ananda, in bliss. Be always immersed. Doesn't matter what's happened in your life. Be always immersed. Find that thread, that golden thread that's hidden in our own experience. Desire is fruitless, he says. Burn your desire in the depth of your mind. Destroy it internally. There are tendencies that take us away from that bliss. Burn them up. Get rid of them. Bhagavan Nityananda. So tonight on this uh, auspicious uh, anniversary, of course, I have to turn to... Only There's only one sage. Bhagavan is one. But the sage that I have to turn to is this gentleman. <clears throat> so of course, tonight I'm going to celebrate it by doing my program, which I call Ganeshpuri Days. These are taken from question answers that, whoop, there we are. That's the Baba that I knew when I got there during a summer, summer session. <clears throat> Next one. And this, would, this is during uh, one of the question answer sessions in his room. He'd sit in that uh, seat and he was, whoops, we're back. <laughs> so uh, he's giving out in that, that pot, there's the idlis made by the, the wife of the tea shop owner, Saina's wife, and they were, he would give them out. He's gone away again? Back. Oh, he's back. <laughs> Every 10 seconds, it's going to change itself. <laughs> oh, it's ten, okay. Okay, and uh, next one? Another one. That's it? Okay, pictures from those days. <clears throat> so we used to go into Baba's room and ask him questions, and he liked it so much, we liked it so much, that he liked it, that we liked it so much. And uh, pretty soon, three times a week, we'd go in his room, uh, and uh, we'd write out questions, and he would answer them, translated into English. So... <clears throat> Here we go. Barry G. Barry G is... Uh... Which is gay. <laughs> now he's staying there. Okay. Barry G. Yeah. <clears throat> so Barry G was an American uh, who spent a couple of years there at least. He was a, a familiar member. He lived in the dormitory. Um, and he asked this question. He says, while reading some of Nityananda Baba's sayings, I realized I didn't really understand what was being said. There was a recognition of truth and a very strong inner feeling of affirmation, but not cognition. Is, is it possible to really learn from another's words or only through personal experience? Does the guru do more than guide one? to the door through which one must step himself? If only a guide, what is the role of Shaktipat? 
does the physical guru induce specific experiences or just give formless spiritual energy? If he'd asked me, I would have said, do not ask that question. There's about four questions in the one. It should be shorter. What? Yeah, it should be shorter. Yeah, there are many questions in one. Uh, and Baba doesn't like it. <clears throat> so the first part of it is about Chittakashkita, Bhagwan Nityananda's phrases. Uh, and Baba says, there's nothing difficult about Nityananda Baba's teachings. They're very simple. Which book did you read? He said, Voice of the Self. Voice of the Self was an edition, an edition of uh, Chittakashkita that was prepared um, by, uh, uh, what is his name? Uh, no, from, from the uh, Aurobindo Ashram. He visited Ann Arbor. Oh, Pundit, M.P. Pundit. M.P. Pundit. And uh, it was a collection of them. <clears throat> he says, which book did you read? Voice itself. Whatever difficulty there is, is due to the translator. The original teaching is very simple. Nityananda always talked in absolutely the simplest terms, which even a child could understand. The person who translated these sayings into English has probably rendered them difficult and hard. I will write a book containing the nectarian words of Nityananda render it in, and render it into English. So that's, that's that. Baba says, you have to learn to understand your own experiences through the teachings of others. This is an answer to his other question. Guru takes you not only to the door, but also to the image of the deity inside the temple. The image is not far from the door. It's very close. What makes you think that guidance is different from Shaktipat? Now, that's a phrase that I recognize. When Baba said to you, in an answer to a question, what makes you think? That means I'm not enjoying this question. What makes you think? You'll hear it several times tonight. What makes you think that guidance is different from Shaktipat? What do you understand by guidance? <clears throat> and the, the Barry answers, being told what to follow in your sadhana. It's in parentheses. And what is Shaktipat? Energy that affects one physically and emotionally. The guru guides you only through Shaktipat. It's transmission of Shakti, which is true guidance. If no Shakti is transmitted, then the question of a path does not arise. So Baba is saying that Shaktipat is the key. That without Shaktipat, it's just doctrines, it's just dogma, it's just teachings. But Shaktipat is the actual initiation, transmission of spiritual energy, the waking of Kundalini. Your question is very strange. What makes you think that specific experiences are different from formless spiritual energy? Once the Shakti has been transmitted, then everything else follows, including guidance, specific experiences, and all else. The guru does not have to induce particular experiences. If he has transmitted shakti, that's enough. And the shakti provides what each seeker needs. Everyone is so different. Everyone is completely different. It's very wrong to look at other people's experiences. 
according to your samskara, your karma, your, your way you are, the way your mind is set up, the way your emotions are set up, experiences happen. And sometimes because you read about other people's dramatic experiences, uh, you don't see that you're experiencing uh, what you need to experience. He says everything else will follow, and that includes everything. Shaktipat is only another name for the Guru's grace or awakening of the inner Shakti. So this was on December 24th, 1971. I'd been there almost a year. It was Christmas Eve, my first Christmas in Ganeshpuri. <clears throat> and you'll see that Baba was a little annoyed with, um, with uh, the questions that day, because this also took place that same day. And Kalyani, an American woman, asked, Baba, would you please tell us about the relationship that you had with Bhagwan Nityananda during your period of sadhana? Did you spend much time in his physical presence? Did he su supervise your activities and discipline your actions as in the case here in the ashram, as is the case? I wouldn't advise that question either. Like, did he discipline you the way you're disciplining us? <clears throat> Baba, first line. For, what makes you think I am coming straight from the army and enforcing military type of regimentation here. How does such a foolish question arise in your mind? I'd be sitting cowering, I think, thank God I didn't ask a question today, you know. <clears throat> what makes you think that? I was in the army and then became a renunciate. Oh, that, oh, what makes you think, I'm sorry, what makes you think that I was in the army and then became a renunciate, or that I'm trying to enforce army discipline here. I'm not yet fully enforcing Nityananda's discipline. If I were to do that, most of you would run away immediately. <laughs> I'm enforcing it in a diluted form. He was so strict about discipline that if I stood in his presence, I had to keep standing in the same posture without making the slightest movement. If I happened to be sitting, then I could not stand up. I had to keep sitting. Nobody dared to put such foolish questions to him. <laughs> what one learned, one learned from indirect hints given by him while he moved about. <clears throat> the only relationship that can exist in the period of sadhana is the guru-disciple relationship. What other relationship can there be? What makes you think there's another? <laughs> what else is there to say about it? The guru's role is to make sure that the disciple's sadhana goes smoothly. A relationship with a guru is not like the relationship with a professional teacher in Bombay from whom you learn to play the harmonium or violin. As far as the guru is concerned, he takes charge of you wholly and he guides your sadhana fully. The only purpose of the guru-disciple relationship is sadhana. There was no reason for me to spend less time in his physical presence. I wasn't in any business. <clears throat> I wasn't engaged in agriculture. I wasn't engaged in a profession. Why should I have spent less time with him? I spent all my time with him. 
For instance, for as long as you're here, you'll spend all your time in the ashram. There's no other work to keep you busy. When you go back, it'll be different. Go back to your home. What exactly is the question in your mind? <clears throat> Did you think, do you think that I worked for a few hours a day in a hotel or in a field and then got a few hours with the guru? <laughs> yes, he supervised my practices in the same manner. Do you think that the guru would teach his disciple that he should go out and discipline others, but as far as he's concerned, he can do anything he likes? Would that be the guru's teaching? What kind of question is this? And how shall I answer it? <laughs> it's really fry, isn't it? It's a wonderful fry. <clears throat> and the person says in parentheses, I just wanted to hear Baba talk about his guru. <clears throat> in that case, Baba says, you should have made less inquiries. You should have just asked me to tell you something about my guru. Whatever I've said has been said in response to the tone of your question. Next time, frame your question with discretion. It's huh? really something. Should I tell you a story about how a question should be asked? The Vedantic manner of putting a question is that a question is very small, whereas the answer may fill volumes. In Vedantic literature, it's the questions that are far more important than the answers. But these questions are not the sort that a journalist would ask. The question should be so framed that it brings out the inner essence of the subject. I can tell you how you should have framed your question. How does a true disciple spend his day with the true guru? You would have elicited from me what you wanted by putting such a question. The Vedantic seers say that a question should be framed as Savitri asked for a boon from Yama. <clears throat> this is a story Baba often told. This is how to ask a question. <clears throat> you must have read the story of Savitri. The messengers of Yama were taking the soul of Satyavan, Savitri's husband, away. Yama is the lord of death, so uh, he died, so they took the soul away. <clears throat> and Savitri prayed very earnestly, but her husband was not returned. But Savitri was an absolutely loyal wife, and she went after Yama, insisting that he must return her husband. So she went down to hell itself. Give me back my husband. Yama thought that if he granted her some mundane boon, she'd be very happy and would go go away and go home, get rid of her. He told her to ask for a boon. And Savitri said, would you grant me a boon? And he said, certainly. <clears throat> then she said, grant me this boon, <clears throat> that my in-laws should see my children eating sweets from gold dishes. And Baba says, it's good that at the time there were no journalists around. Otherwise, he would have commented on it. Look at her, Savitri is asking for gold plates to eat on. <laughs> Yama said, let it be so, now you go. And she said, first bring my husband back to life. He said, I'll not do that. She said, don't you have any brains? Can't you see? 
I'm a faithful wife and at present don't have any children. And if you don't bring my husband back to life, how can I have any children? Now Yama realized he'd been caught in his own trap. Been outsmarted. And he could not go back on his words, so he returned her husband to life. <laughs> they were a very poor couple, and they used to make their livelihood by cutting wood, which they sold. To be able to eat from a gold plate, you must be a real king. So then she said, unless you grant a kingdom to us, how am I children going to eat from gold plates? So a kingdom was granted. <laughs> then she said, now grant me children. Her in-laws were blind, and they couldn't have seen their grandchildren eating from gold plates because they were old and blind. So now she said, you must restore eyesight to them. <laughs> Boy, she wasn't a half-smart guy, wasn't she? So there's no point asking a long question, the answer to which is very, very short. The question should be short, and it should be so significant that the answer should be very illuminating and would be very long. It's a marvelous story, isn't it? Savitri. <clears throat> and one more. Uh, this is Mark. Uh, we had a few Marks. One was the garden, the head of the upper garden. And there might have been another one, so it may have been, not be him. But he said, if one worships Shiva, he must also worship the mother Shakti. Please tell me about mother worship, which we just did by saying the goddess mantras. <clears throat> we have a technical issue? It's okay. Yeah? Yeah, the camera moved back here. Okay, where do I look? Here? That one. Yeah. Which one? Baba. That one there? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, Baba says, if you worship just one deity with knowledge, then you worship everyone. What makes you think? No, he says. <laughs> but if you worship, uh, if you worship everyone without knowledge, then you're worshiping no one. The difference between Shiva and Shakti is postulated by people with common intelligence. To philosophers and seers of truth, this kind of distinction is childish. What is Shiva is also Shakti. And what is Shakti is also Shiva. And you should know them fully. Just as we have the Shaivite school, similarly we have the Shakti school. Whichever school you subscribe to, you should know your deity fully. He who is present in all his fullness, who pervades the entire universe, is Shiva. And it is also Shakti, and also Ram, Krishna, and Vishnu. Therefore, Shakti is no different from Shiva. There is no difference between my Shakti and me. Similarly, Shiva and Shakti are one. All these various deities are one. I was invited to inaugurate a Bhagavat Sapta. <clears throat> so they have these saptas where a particular scripture is read, and chanting goes on, and the, the main reader reads it out uh, in the original language, and then they might chant for a while, and, and it goes on for days. It's a sapta. It keeps going on. 
Uh, so this was a reading of the Bhagavat Purana, which is the story of Krishna and the gopis and all that. A devotional, great devotional text. So I was invited to inaugurate the Bhagavat uh, Sapta. And one speaker there happened to say that Shiva is greater than Vishnu. And I said, he doesn't know anything because there's no difference between Shiva and Vishnu. It seems to be the ingrained habit of man to spread illusions, illusory notions in every field, and it doesn't even spare God. Somebody comes from Bombay after having met the Hare, somebody came from Bombay after having met the Hare Krishna group. The Hare Krishna group told him, if you want to obtain salvation, you must be initiated by our guru. And I asked, since when did God grant the exclusive copyright to that group, to that guru? <coughs> Formerly, that was not the case. <clears throat> worship of Shiva is worship of Shakti. Worship of Shakti is worship of Shiva. Meditation is the highest, the best worship of Shakti. Because through meditation, Shakti is awakened. Yanashwar Maharaj also says, meditation on the inner self is worship of Shakti. Shakti has no special forms of her own. Shiva is Shakti, and the manner in which we worship Shiva is the manner in which we should worship Shakti. If you're particularly interested in the ritualistic mode of worship of Shakti, then we have a large number of volumes on the subject which would fill this room. If you're interested, then you should read them. It is enough to know that Kundalini, who is awakened within, is Maha Shakti, is the great Shakti, the great energy. <clears throat> and to awaken her through meditation is her highest worship. So the greatest worship is to worship the inner Shakti. Once the Shakti part has been received and you have the experience of Shakti to nurture Shakti and grow Shakti, and then Shakti itself will teach you because when you do the right thing, your experience of Shakti grows. And when you lose the thread, you lose touch with that, you lose the thread of your path, the Shakti disappears and you're left bereft. And so Shakti is the greatest teacher. So the, the path then becomes uh, connecting with the Shakti and staying connected and growing that connection until you're filled with Shakti in every atom of your, your being. <clears throat> so he says, the entire universe is her expression. There's a text called Pratyarijna Ridayam. It's one of the texts we look at all the time from Kashmir Shaivism. <clears throat> that too is a Shakti Tantra. It is said that the pure being without attributes, without form, who is beyond all categories, beyond all perception, is Shiva. Shakti is his dynamic power which exists by his support, who lives absorbed in him and is one with him. So Shiva is the, the static underpinning of pure consciousness, the unmoved mover. And then Shakti is the aspect which moves and knows itself and creates the whole universe. <clears throat> if you were to ask who Shakti is, I would say all of these women here are forms of Shakti. In fact, this entire universe, animate and inanimate, including mountains, rivers, lakes, 
extending from east to west, from north to south, is all Shakti. To eat, bathe, and adorn yourself with reverence is to worship her. To live a life full of love and respect and the awareness of God is to worship Shakti. The body is the creation of Shakti and Shiva, and the universe is also a magnificent dance of Shiva and Shakti. We do not know to, need to know the different modes of worship. To know and understand that it is Shiva himself who is worshipped as Shakti is enough, and that has the highest significance. And we should also understand that it is Shakti who appears as Shiva. So this is the dance they, they say in uh, Buddhism of form and emptiness, uh, of, of form, forms that we see in life, and then the void. And they say the highest teaching is form is emptiness and emptiness is form. They're referring to what we call Shiva and Shakti. Shiva is Shakti and Shakti is Shiva. Uh, uh, form and formlessness. That which is formless is the same as that which is form. And the dual and the non-dual, that which is one is the same as that which is the many. <clears throat> and Shiva is Shakti and Shakti is Shiva. And so they also say in Shaivism that the doorway to Shiva is through Shakti. One of the doorways is through language, through mantra, and through practice, and through understanding your own, the language that goes on in your own head, and making that language move towards the divine rather than towards suffering. It's crucial how we handle our own thoughts that go on in our own head. And if our thoughts go in the right direction, we're uplifted. And if thoughts go in the wrong direction, we become miserable. We don't have to look outside of ourselves to see the source of happiness and misery. It exists right within the way we think and the way we handle our life experience. There's nothing inherent in the life experience that should make us unhappy. It's only the way we think about it, the way we hold it, the way we receive, perceive it. And so if we learn the art of seeing Shiva, seeing Shakti everywhere, we become uplifted. And then no matter what happens in our life, we're still in that space of anand, of bliss, that, that Bhagavan Nityananda was talking about. So let's meditate. Baba says meditation is the highest worship. <clears throat> meditate on that inner power. We're going to meditate for 10 minutes. <clears throat> Close your eyes and look within. See, see if it's true what I've been saying. I'm claiming that there's a great power within every person. And the difference between us and Bhagavan Nityananda or Baba Muktananda or any of the great sages is only one thing. They don't have a separate organ that they've grown, and they're not, you know, special geniuses that were that way at birth. They have discovered a principle that is equal in every one of us. It's the life principle. It's the conscious principle. It can be called many things. It can be called the self within, consciousness within. Bhagavan Nityananda called it Brahman. 
the absolute. And so when we meditate, meditation is a worship of that principle. And it's to let the mind become quiet, let the mind not become a barrier to that experience, and to find that principle of peace and joy and love that exists within. The sages tell us this, Bhagavan Nityananda tells us this, Baba Muktananda tells us this. The great guides tell us that, and they ask us, turn within and discover this sacred principle of Shiva and Shakti within yourself. So let's meditate now for 10 minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Satgurunath Maharaj Kijay. Let's meditate. 